Listen up, real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and agents. You're in the right place. Unlocking the secrets to real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Titanium Vault, hosted by RJ Bates III. Here's RJ. Hey gang, this is Jeremy Demers with Titanium Investments. I am RJ's partner here in Arizona, and he asked me to jump on board while he's enjoying some family birthday time to offer some value. So uh, hopefully you enjoy this uh, skills session. Um, so on today's episode of the podcast, I'd like to share with you uh, some thoughts on a crucial step of the investing process. Uh, this step is actually, it's, it's the first step, and uh, it's where most investors agree you make or lose money. So I'm going to talk about value. I'm going to talk about um, property valuation. Uh, this is actually how I got into the business, and it's an area that sort of helped me earn a partnership uh, with RJ and the Titanium team. So hopefully after listening to this, you'll be able to value a deal, to value a property like an appraiser would, um, which would then help you uh, price your property like a magician, right? Poof, gone, sold. So in my head, uh, I have a five-step process. For the most part, it's five steps. Um, and these, these are the same five steps that I go through every time I have a property come across my desk or something pops up in the titanium um, you know, communication showing, hey, you know, can we run comps on this? Can we look at that? So um, this is kind of the, the, the process that I go to. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope you get something out of it. Uh, number one. So number one is... is really just to do the work, um, <laughs> do the due diligence. Uh, it's really easy, you know, if you're an investor in whatever market you're in, you probably get a ton of properties in your email box, I do. Um, you know, it's really easy to get caught up in, ah, oh, you know, I got to go see that one, or I want to make an offer on that one, or I got to, you know, call my partner up about this one. Just do the due diligence and run the comps. Uh, if you don't have MLS access, man, my advice would be to find an agent, like right away, drop everything, get an agent on board. They're super easy to find. Uh, it's really easy to find the non-producing agents. You know, you can probably throw a stone in your area and find a non-producing agent. But, you know, find somebody, network a bit, get somebody some coffee, get, you know, take them out to lunch, show them how you can help them, you know, list a, a home a month or a home every quarter or whatever goals you have, you know, with very little time commitment by working with you and assisting you with valuation. Um, that would be, I mean, that would be the number one uh, step if you do not already have MLS access because you're going to need it. And every other resource out there pulls information from the MLS. So you just got to get to the source. And then once you start using the MLS and learning how it's set up and, and you start using it to value your properties, don't listen to anybody um, but yourself and your team. You know, no one else is in the game with you but your team. And it's, it's, it's very hard to get swayed in either direction by other investors or even friends and family and stuff like that. So just, just trust your numbers and trust your team. Um, you know, trust, but verify. So number two uh, would be you got to get out to the property. Um, you know, physically place your feet on the property. You know, get there, look north, look south, look east, west. You know, drive a few streets in every direction just to soak it all in. And, you know, picture yourself living in that community, in that area. Um, you know, drive back to the property. You know, how do you feel? Uh, take way more pictures than you need. 
100%. Take way more than you need. Um, talk to the neighbors if they're out and about. You know, be inquisitive. Ask maybe too many questions so they feel like just kind of uh, brushing you off. Uh, but yeah, be inquisitive. Uh, account for uh, the materials, not just on the house you're considering, but the houses in the neighborhood. Um, is your house an anomaly in terms of its finishes on the exterior? That's something you can see by just getting out of the car. Um, you know, a lot of agents do you favors by describing every update the property has. So account for that. Um, <laughs> take as much, uh, take as many notes as possible and, and take a lot of photos. Um, so number three, uh, the third step uh, for me in this process would be to run comps. Okay. So this is the way that I start off doing it. And, you know, I know other appraisers, other investors, agents, and, you know, everyone has the kind of their own system, but this is what I feel uh, is it's super quick to do. It takes minutes. And once you do it a, several times, it becomes kind of second nature when you're, as soon as you get an address. So first you're going to find the map search. You're going to start in the middle of the lot and you're going to circle out one mile. And this is for a suburbia subdivision, by the way. Okay. This changes a bit in rural areas, but start out with a mile in every direction. It's just very easy to do. And you can generally, if you're in a you know, suburban area or, or city area, you can pull, you know, way more than you'll need. Uh, but if you find yourself out more towards rural areas um, and, and the lots are much larger, you know, half an acre, acre plus, you're going to have to go out further than a mile, of course. And you're probably you're probably going to at least extend out uh, a mile or two, <clears throat> excuse me, to a half mile at a time, half mile to a mile at a time. So just be uh, be conscious of your freeways, be conscious of your natural borders, um, you know, anything from canals. You know, um, if you're near colleges, we have a few colleges here in, in, in Phoenix, um, you know, large parks, schools, uh, churches, you know, be aware of these types of properties and how they impact the area that you're searching in. You know, if, if half of your mile search is, uh, is, is taken up by some of these other types of uh, properties, um, you're going to want to extend out another quarter mile, half mile, you know, mile perhaps. Just be incremental uh, and be patient with your results. Um, it's easy to overlook a lot of things if you just try and hurry up and, and, and you know, get a good sample of, of comps. So um, as far as time for solds, uh, sold comparables, you're going to want to extend backwards in time about six months. And that's generally where appraisers are going to be when they pull closed sales. Um, and you can include active and pending listings as well. I try to stay away from canceled or expireds. And the only reason I might pull those in is if I really want to uh, you know, generate some sort of report to, to provide to an appraiser to show them what the, you know, what percentage of the area are distressed listings or were distressed listings. But for the most part, you can, you can toss those aside. Just focus on the actives and the pendings and then going back six months. Now, if you can't find enough solds, and I'll tell you what, what, what a good number would be, uh, you just might need more time or more distance. So going back seven months instead of six or eight, nine months instead of six, Perhaps uh, it's not ideal, but you do want a good sample of sold comparables. Um, and the other thing would be the distance. You know, if you need, like I said, you need to go a mile or, or another quarter mile or a half mile out. You know, you can do that. Just again, be patient and don't, you know, start going out two and three and five miles just to find good comps. Um, having no active listings or very little active listings with a lot of solds or a lot of pendings is a really, really good sign. Uh, and you'll be able to see that when you pull your first batch of, of listings. So if you pull a, a set and I have a 10 to 25 rule, so if you can get a list of comparables, 
you know, between 10 and 25 listings, roughly. And that's just a rough, you know, some more dense areas you might be on the higher end and more rural areas you actually, you know, might be lucky to get five or six or something. But you want to try and stick to 10 to 25. It just gives you a really good sample. And of those 10 to 25 listings that you get from doing this search, uh, you want at least four uh, to five sold listings, no less than four. Um, you know, three is good enough to get example, but uh, very rarely will you get three listings and three listings only that are all kind of right in line with your price. So um, if you do get a good list, you know, 20, 25, even 30, you know, you can feel confident. If you cut out the top 10 to 20% and then cut out the bottom 10 to 20%, you can pretty, you can be pretty assured that uh, you're, you're getting rid of the fluff. Uh, you know, the outliers are not going to support market value, uh, not like the, the lean meat is and the lean meat's going to be in the middle. So if you have 20 listings, you need to toss out the top one or two and toss out the bottom one or two. Feel free to do that because it's only going to strengthen your ability to, to determine market value. So the goal is 10 to 25 listings and you want at least four of those sold. Um, that is step three and that's run comps. OK, so now that you've got a set of comps. You're going to have some other things you're going to do with those comps. You're going to have to make adjustments. That's number four, make adjustments. Uh, there's two ways to do this. Um, and I'll use, uh, let's use pools for an example. So if you take a list of comps and let's say you get 25 comparables, right? And half of those comps have pools and half of them don't. And let's just assume everything else is equated for the sake of argument, right? So you've got a list, uh, half the list has pools, half the list doesn't. Well, if you take the median price from each list, uh, the list with no pool and the list with pools and you compare those two well you could probably assume that the difference between the two would be what you would adjust for if you needed to adjust down for a pool or even up for a pool you know whichever if your subject has a pool or doesn't um, that's a great way to do it uh, it just takes so much time so the other way to do this the preferred way that I use is I just like to keep in mind how appraisers normally adjust for those items like a pool and I'll get to some other adjustments as well. Um, on their reports, there are a few rules that they follow. Uh, there's three rules. And uh, I, I say rules, I use rules loosely. Basically, they have to follow these guidelines. And if, if for some reason that they extend beyond these guidelines, they just have to argue and support, not argue, they have to support why they feel that way, why they went over that rule, why they had to pull a comparable or make an adjustment that was beyond these rules. So what are these rules? Okay, so there is a 10% guideline for a single line item. And what that means is on an appraisal report, if you have a pool, I'll keep going back to pools, uh, and you need, to make, you need to make an adjustment for that pool, uh, if you have a $400,000 house, um, that pool adjustment can't be more than $40,000. You know, 40,000 being 10% of $400,000, the, uh, the appraised value, right? So, um, if you uh, if you go over that amount, if you're at fifty thousand, you know it's not a big deal. But now it raises a little bit of a flag in the appraiser in the appraisal, and the appraiser then has to make notes and, and summarize why he decided to make that adjustment and for what purposes and why there there wasn't a better comparable for that spot and so on and so on. So it is a, a guideline, ten percent for a single line item like a pool, and um, there's a fifteen percent rule for a net adjustment. Okay. So a net adjustment just means that's the total of all the adjustments. Uh, it can be positive or negative, and it's usually expressed as a percentage on the appraisal form. So uh, if you adjust a comparable down for a superior mountain view of, for 25,000, 
and then you adjust the same comparable up, you know, for not having a pool like the subject does, and that's for 15000 you end up with a net adjustment of negative $10,000, essentially 25000 minus 15000 you know, $10,000. On a $400,000 house, that'd be negative 2.5%. So it's way low. You have a ton of room there to make more adjustments. But again, just to give you an idea, how many things can you really adjust for? Uh, when you're looking at comparable sales compared to your subject property, the deal that you want to buy uh, or even the deal that you want to sell. Um, so that's the, the second rule, the net adjustment. And that is the total of all the adjustments, both plus and minus. So the gross adjustment is the third one. And that's the total of all adjustments in absolute terms. So in other words, the adjustments are added without regard to whether it's a positive adjustment or a negative adjustment. So uh, in that same example, uh, the $25,000 uh, Mountain View adjusted down from the comparable compared to the subject property. And then the 15,000 pool adjustment up because it had a pool and the subject did not have a pool. Your total adjustment would then be 40,000. That's 10% of the $400,000 house. Again, way below what that guideline is, about 25%, you're way below that. So you can make more adjustments if you need to, to help support value. Um, so that, that would be, uh, number four. And then I'll give you a couple of, um, uh, items that would be uh, things that you would make adjustments for. So these are what I feel are like the, the, the top line items, the top characteristics of properties that you will adjust for, um, you know, on your, on your, you know, during your research. So some of those items include the view. Uh, we spoke a bit about that mountain view. Um, and that could be anything from a commercial building next door to a main road, to a school, to a church, um, you know, to there's all kinds of different, you know, park view would be a superior view in, in most cases in suburbia, right? So lot size, that's another one, you know, larger or smaller lots. Uh, you know, if you have a 10,000 square foot lot, you probably wouldn't give the same value to a two acre piece of property, even though it's next door, uh, condition and year. Um, you know, whether the home is, is 40 years older than your subject property, it's probably not the best comparable anyway, but if you did have to use it, uh, you definitely want to make an adjustment for that, uh, living area. Uh, so size, you know, gross living area. If you have a thousand square foot home, you're probably not going to use a 3000 square foot home. So, uh, that's something you want to adjust for along with bedroom, bathroom count, um, you know, garage or parking facilities. Um, another one would be, you know, pool, we spoke about pools, spas, you know, fireplaces, any, uh, extra amenities. And then you have, there's kind of like another, um, section where you can kind of put in different things that the property has that are really unique to that area or that neighborhood, uh, or, and that house specifically. So like a guest house, right? In Arizona, we have a lot of guest houses, a lot of casitas. Um, we have workshops, um, you know, horse property, you might have that. Uh, a lot of those types of listings in your region, uh, those types of things. You're definitely going to want to make adjustments for those or account for those in some way. Uh, that's kind of number four in a nutshell, and that is to make the make the adjustments. Uh, number five would be, you know, argue the number to yourself. You know, would it stand up in court? Uh, when you come up with your number, whatever you think it is, if you think it's 400000 you know, can you go back through, reverse engineer that price through the comparables, and can you find the weakness in your valuation? Doing this over and over again um, it, it's going to take time, but the time that you'll save down the road will be so critical. 
especially if you can spend a little bit of time doing this up front, sit down with the agent uh, partner of yours and sit down and, you know, go through some of these things with them. So when you're sending them stuff, they're, they're actually doing the way that, you know, they're doing it the way you'd want to do it. And then when, when they send you over the list of comparables for a deal, you can go through and reverse engineer and find the same thing. Um, you'll spend so little time assessing properties in the long run with a, with the right system. And this system may not be right for you. It works for me. Um, but the time that you'll save, you'll be able to write more contracts. You'll be able to get out and door knock, you know, uh, drive for dollars or whatever it is that you do to generate business, you know, make cold calls, whatever. And that's a good thing. Um, that's five is argue the number to yourself. And honestly, I'd put, you know, I'd probably put like a five B and, uh, it would be repeat this process a ton of times. Um, repeat this process a lot since 2005, when I first got into this business, uh, in the real estate business as an appraiser, I, you know, I've probably appraised well over 3000 properties at this point. Um, and there's nothing that will help your speed more than doing this, uh, as many times as you can. And, and definitely nothing, uh, that will help your confidence in your number more than just sheer volume, just doing this a bunch of times. I forget who said the quote, maybe Zig Ziglar. Uh, but th there was a quote, um, you know, success is, is not in doing several things, uh, very well. It's doing, you know, one thing exceptionally, something like I probably just butchered that, but something like that. You guys have probably heard that. Um, so yeah, volume is key. Finding a partner is definitely key. So those are the five, the five steps that I have for, for valuing, uh, property for, for vet property valuation. So, um, that's really all I have today. I just wanted to kick out a couple of, of processes that I use. Um, I appreciate you guys sticking around for the end of this episode. Don't worry. RJ is going to be back soon with, with great success stories and more amazing guests. Um, but it, you know, feel free to reach out to me on social media. Uh, if you have any questions, I'd be happy to help in whatever way that I can. And, uh, you know, thanks again. Adios. Thanks so much for listening to the Titanium Vault with your host, RJ Bates III. For more info and to stay up to date, visit www.podcast.thetitaniumvault.com and on facebook.com slash thetitaniumvault. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time on the Titanium Vault. Titanium Vault.